Well, hello. You are listening to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Happy to have you here on our podcast. And uh, today we're going to be listening to some uh, music by someone not considered a jazz artist per se, but someone who had a great appreciation for jazz and who employed a lot of jazz musicians. His name was Bob Wills. Uh, Jim Bob Wills, the uh, king of Western swing music. So what is Western swing? did a podcast a while back on Roy Newman and his orchestra, talked about that a little bit. Roy Newman and his boys actually was the name of that group. And uh, these were groups, Roy Newman, Milton Brown, uh, Bob Wills, and a host of other smaller ones, were active in the 1930s, uh, up into the World War II years, uh, but they weren't really known as Western swing bands at the time because that term didn't exist. Uh, Western swing as a, a stylistic term didn't happen onto the national consciousness till about Oh, really, after World War II, um, there were a number of bands that came up, especially Bob Wills' band from that period, that really defined what Western Swing was. Prior to that, in the 1930s, uh, the musicians who played this style considered themselves to be jazz musicians. They were interested in the music of Benny Goodman and uh, Count Basie, Tommy Dorsey, Bob Crosby. Uh, They listened to those uh, groups on uh, the radio and on records, and to some degree they were copying their style. They also had an affinity for earlier styles of jazz from the 1920s. If you listen to recordings by these groups, you can hear that they were influenced by groups such as Venuti and Lang. Um, Milton Brown used uh, even used introductions and uh, little pieces of arrangement from uh, Venuti and Lang's recordings of the 1920s. They listened to a lot of the uh, party records, I guess I'd call them, that were made by black jazz bands in Chicago, primarily in the late 1920s and early 1930s, and uh, had a certain... Um, similarity of repertoire with some of those as well. We're going to hear a couple of those today in our Bob Wills tribute. So these were musicians who uh, definitely had an affinity for jazz, and as I said, they considered themselves jazz musicians. They were heartily offended if you called them country or hillbilly musicians. Hillbilly was the the term uh, that was used most often for this type of southern white folk music uh, from this period. String band music, old time music, those were uh, things that you would see on the records that came out uh, of the music of these particular musicians. As I said, Western swing is something that we call it kind of in retrospect, uh, but it's a good term nonetheless. So Bob Wills, he was born in 1905 in Limestone County, Texas. His father was a champion fiddler uh, of the country and folk variety, playing fiddle tunes and breakdowns and reels and things like that. He participated in a lot of fiddle competitions in Texas in the 1910s and and even after into the 20s and I think into the 30s as well, and he was very successful at those. He was considered one of the best in the business, and his son, Bob Wills, who was known as Jim Bob Wills at the time, was... Uh, coming up on him in that regard. He was considered maybe the second best fiddler. Um, The first country music records in the 1920s were made by fiddlers like Eck Robertson uh, and people like that, and that was the type of music that was most popular in white society in um, the Deep South, really not even the Deep South, from Virginia down the Tidewater District, down to Florida, the Texas Panhandle, out to Oklahoma. This type of music, we think of it as, you know, uh, square dance music or folk music from the Scotch-Irish tradition, and uh, of course this fiddle music as well. 
By the 1920s and 30s, they were uh, musicians who were playing this started taking on a leavening of blues and jazz. And Bob Wills, uh, in his memoirs and interviews, uh, said that he grew up playing with African-American children when he was little. He didn't have any playmates, uh, white playmates, other than his own family. And so he learned some of their games and their musical styles and, and blues singing and things like that. And he was uh, a very big fan of blues singers, especially Bessie Smith later on. He... Uh, talked about how he rode his horse 50 miles or something like that to hear a Bessie Smith concert and uh, or a performance in the 1920s. And indeed, he recorded a number of Bessie Smith tunes in the 1930s. We're going to hear one or two of those as well. So he grew up in a musical family, uh, learned to play the violin. He was not a jazz player. He was definitely a, a, a old-time fiddler, a breakdown fiddler. And a lot of the solos on recordings uh, in that style were by him. Any of the jazzier types of violin solos were by one of the other players that he would employ. And he always employed great musicians in that style. By 1929, he was in Fort Worth. He had uh, sort of wandered around uh, the South playing music in minstrel shows. He even did blackface acts. He was a comedian. He uh, played in other types of groups as well. But as I said, he landed in Fort Worth in about 1929. He was making his living as a barber for a while, uh, but still intent on making music his career. As I said, Bessie Smith was a big early influence, as was Emmett Miller, the last minstrel, so-called. You can listen to some of Emmett Miller's recordings on YouTube. He was a white performer who appeared in blackface. His career is kind of mysterious, but he made a series of recordings in the, the mid to late 1920s and into the early 30s where he was backed by great jazz players like the Dorsey Brothers and, and, and people like that. And um, he did some jazz tunes as well in a kind of a minstrel style. And Bob Wills copied some of his delivery and even some of his vocal quality as well in his recordings later on. In 1930, he uh, teamed up with two other musicians, Herman Arnsberger on guitar and Milton Brown, the singer. And we talked about Milton Brown a little bit. And if you listen to my radio program on WETF in South Bend, you heard a Milton Brown show recently. Um, Milton Brown was a singer. He did not play an instrument per se, but he was a very fine singer. He could sing everything from southern tunes to blues to jazzy tunes. He could sound like Cab Calloway sometimes. He could sound like Ben Crosby sometimes. So he was a very versatile singer. Herman Arnsberger was a guitar player, and of course, Wills was a fiddler. And they became a uh, trio working in the um, Fort Worth area for a couple of years. They were finally hired by uh, the Burris Mills to perform in a radio program that happened uh, several times a week. They became known as the Light Crust Doughboys from the Burris Mills. They made flour at that mill. And they had a, a, a fairly high degree of local fame for all of these uh, broadcasts that they did. They were... Uh, um, featured uh, several times a day, usually when the, the people in the fields were either coming in or going out, coming in for lunch or going out in the morning, and they would do a 15 or 20 minute program, and um, they would play pop tunes as well as the, the more traditional tunes that uh, would be played at dances. And they learned these pop tunes from recordings. Uh, Bob Wills talked about that later in his life. They actually uh, were employed by the mills not to do mill work, but to play music, and their uh, time 
time when they were not performing was spent rehearsing and listening to recordings and taking tunes down in that way. And so that's how they became uh, jazz musicians in one way or another as well. So this group uh, made some recordings, a couple of recordings early on, and as I said, they were quite popular, and they began to butt heads with their boss, Leo Daniel, uh, who wanted complete control over the group and didn't like that they were going out and playing outside jobs and things like that. Milton Brown left um, about 19... 32 or so, and he ended up founding his band, The Brownies, which was an excellent group, probably the first really great Western swing group. And if he had lived, he probably would have been known as the father of Western swing. But he, uh, Milton Brown, died as a result of an injury, the injuries that he received in a car accident in about 1935. Bob Wills, however, uh, was fired in 1933 or so. He was uh, periodically uh, incapacitated by drink, shall we say. Over the most of his career, he was a pretty heavy drinker, but he went through long periods where he didn't drink much and it didn't affect him, and then he would go on blackout binges and so forth, and probably that led to his being fired from the Light Crust Doughboys. Anyway, he went off on his own uh, to found his own group, which was called the Texas Playboys, about 1934 in Waco, Texas, and then they moved on to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they found a home uh, at KVOO, the radio station in Tulsa, where they broadcast quite frequently, and they were doing 45-minute broadcasts five times a week in 1935. That was pretty good uh, exposure at the time. And uh, on the weekends and different times, they would go out and play dances. They uh, had a, a ballroom, Kane's Ballroom in uh, Tulsa, which was their home base. And they built up a fairly huge following. Uh, the broadcasts they did, by the way, were at the lunch hour. So when the workers came in from the fields or the rigs or wherever they were, were employed, they would have their lunch and listen to the Bob Wills Band, and they would make requests and so forth. And the Wills Band played a, a really wide variety of music. Jazz, blues, comedy, novelty tunes, Spanish music, uh, waltzes, old-time uh, things uh, that uh, would have been like Victorian-era ballads, all sorts of things like that, as well as country two-steps and uh, folk music from that period. So about 1935, uh, uh, they started making records. And this was after the band had gone through some variants of personnel, but it had sort of settled on a, a very standard grouping of a string band and a horn section. Now, in the early band that we're going to hear coming up, there were really only two horns. It was a trombone and an alto saxophone. And that, as the years went on through the 30s and into the 40s, grew to uh, section proportions, where you might have had four or five saxophones and three or four or five brass players as well. And then the string band would have been Bob Wills on violin, usually another violinist to play the jazz stuff, and a guitar player, sometimes a banjo player, a bass player, a piano player, a drummer, and uh, eventually a steel guitar player player as well. So it was a fairly large band. So we're going to uh, talk about these different individuals in this group coming up, but I think we're going to listen to four tunes from their early days. We're going to listen to four tunes that were known as jazz tunes, one way or another, and we'll hear how the uh, Bob Wills band approached jazz. This is uh, just part of their repertoire, but it's the part that they became best known for. We're going to hear the Wang Wang Blues, Who Walks In When I Walk Out, Too Busy, and the Sugar Blues by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys.
look out who gives you that high, baby, who's that? Oh, Got the jealous of you. Yes, now. Now, who walks in when I walk out? Don't you know that you're mine, baby, who's that? Got me worrying, too. Oh, now. Now, when we kiss, I kind of miss something it used to be. And every day while I'm away, I get a feeling that's fooling me. Now, who walks in when I walk out? Who gives you that high, baby, who's that? Got me jealous of you.
my coffee, I love my tea, but the doggone sugar blues has got the best of me. I feel so lonesome, I feel so bad you could lay me down and die. Say what you choose, but I'm all confused. I've got them sugar, all oh, sweet sugar. I've got them sugar blues. Oh, take it away, Ethel. Take it away now. some good Texas Swing by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. First couple of tunes we heard were taken from his first recording sessions, which were done in Dallas, Texas, in September of 1935. Now, one thing about these Western Swing groups from this period is they were into marathon recording sessions. Typically, uh, when you hear swing bands or jazz bands or even blues groups from that period, uh, you'd go into the studio and you'd expect to make four sides, so 278 records, front and back, front and back, and that would be about four hours or so. Well, these bands wouldn't go into the studios anywhere near as often, and the reason for that was there were not permanent studios in Texas or Fort Worth or San Antonio or the places where uh, they called home, so they would have to wait for some of the big studios, for example, Vocalion, uh, which was the studio that recorded most of Bob Will's early sides, have to wait for them to come down and set up a uh, uh, set up a, a temporary or a portable recording studio somewhere. It could have been in a hotel, could have been in a music store. Uh, the Burris Mills actually had a recording studio set up in the mill so they could record the Light Crust Doughboys, but that was not the rule. That was the exception. So we have Bob Will's recording on September 23rd and 24th of 1935 and recording probably about 20, 25 songs. Now, of course, these bands were together for quite a while. They were playing, as I said, every day on the radio. They were rehearsing. They were playing regularly on the weekends. So these were musicians who were accustomed to playing together, and they had developed fairly huge repertoires of songs. Most of the musicians in this style were not... Uh, 
conservatory trained or trained in many ways other than just on the job. They didn't necessarily read music. There were a few who did, so they weren't interested in developing complicated arrangements and things like that. They were really interested in playing for dancers. That was the be-all and end-all of the style of music, whether it was jazz or western swing or country or whatever. So they could go in and just knock out tune after tune, and sometimes they'd only have one or two recording sessions in a year, but that would yield enough sides to keep the companies releasing things all around uh, the year, uh, a couple of months or, or whatever the series was at that time. So we heard the Wang Wang Blues by Wood and Miller, Johnson and Busey, or Bussey, I should say, Henry Bussey, uh, from about 1920-21. This was the song that was one of Paul Whiteman's first big hits from the time, and we have... Um, Bob Wills recording it about 15 years later. This is not uncommon. We'll hear that a lot of the, the jazzier tunes, or a certain number of the jazzier tunes that these groups recorded, tended to be from an earlier period, from at least 10 years before. That was the style of jazz that um, these musicians were most attached to, although we will hear some contemporary swing performances as well. Then we heard Who Walks In When I Walk Out, which was almost new at the time. It was about two years old in 1935, uh, but it had that kind of uh, earlier style feel as well. So this band was made up of Bob Wills himself on violin and singing. In fact, he sang the Sugar Blues, which we've just heard. We'll talk about some of the other singers as well. Jesse Ashlock was the violinist who took most of the solos. Bob Wills is very uh, good for discographers because he talked incessantly through his own recordings, and he would announce soloists as he would on the job, and he'd yell and chant and holler, and that was part of his style as well. But we generally know who's soloing on any tune because he's calling out their name in the middle, which is a good thing for us years in advance. So those are the two violinists. You also had someone named Art Haynes who played fiddle, but he was playing more trombone on these sides. There were two horns, Art Haynes on trombone and Zeb McNally on alto sax. McNally stayed with um, Wills for quite a while. Initially, he wasn't even paid. He was sort of a hanger-on to the band, and he'd just pick up a saxophone and start playing. And the story goes that when Wills tried to fire him one day, he said, you can't fire me because you never hired me. And that was that. We also had Herman Osberger on guitar, Son Lansford on bass, a wonderful piano player named Al Strickland, who played a good stride style. Smokey Dacus was on the drums. Johnny Lee Wills, Bob's uh, brother, younger brother, was on banjo. And probably the best soloist of them all in this group for most of the time it was together was Leon McAuliffe, who played electric guitar and steel guitar, slide guitar. And his solos were really the things to listen to on most of these recordings. Um, this was years before Charlie Christian appeared, and there's been speculation that uh, Leon McAuliffe and Bob Dunn, who was playing the same instruments with Milton Brown, they were active in the Oklahoma area when Charlie Christian was getting it together as well, and they may have all learned from each other. You never know about these things. So again, we heard the Wang Wang Blues, a pretty straight-ahead jazz performances with solos by the trombone, the alto sax, and the violin, and the electric guitar. Then we heard Who Walks In When I Walk Out, this time with a vocal by, um, uh, who was the vocalist on that one? Aha, uh -huh. it was Leon McAuliffe himself singing on that one, and uh, soloing as well as well, the other soloists too. I should mention Bob Will's premier vocalist was a man named Tommy Duncan. We'll hear from him a little bit later. He was a fine blues singer, but he was really better known for the pop numbers and for some of the country numbers as well. He joined the band as a piano player. He may have played a little saxophone too, but he was really known as a singer, and uh, he was 
kind of the the co-leader uh, after a while and Bob Will's right-hand man and they had to break up the the act in the in the late 40s after Bob Will's uh, uh, addiction to his his drinking and his drinking problem uh, caused Tommy Duncan to leave the band unfortunately so then we heard two more songs we heard too busy which was from 1928 and uh, that was a, a pretty fully realized arrangement clearly the horn parts were all written out uh, Leon McAuliffe might have done a little bit of that I think he did some writing at the time but we had um, uh, not only uh, the alto and the trombone, we had two other horns as well. We had Ray DeGeer, who played clarinet and tenor sax, and you'll hear him take a baritone sax solo a little bit later. Very fine player. And then uh, a trumpet player, Everett Stover, who was hired as an announcer, but who also played trumpet. And so he ended up playing trumpet on many of the recordings from this period. So this was uh, from uh, a year later, September of 1936, when the band was on tour. They made a series of recordings in Chicago. And a few personnel changes. Je Joe Ferguson is playing bass. Sleepy Johnson was playing guitar, uh, rhythm guitar. And uh, other than that, pretty much the same group. So as I said, we heard uh, Sugar Blues featuring Bob Wills on vocal. And Too Busy, which we... Uh, was before Sugar Blues. No vocal on that. That was just a strict uh, solo vehicle and with a big key change at the end. And Bob Wills was known for uh, varying his performances uh, regularly from the recording uh, arrangements. He would uh, see how the dancers were going, what the audience was liking on any given night, and he would feature soloists extensively. And the musician said you always had to keep one eye on him because you never knew when he was going to turn and point his fiddle bow at you and tell you to take a solo. And uh, people who weren't paying attention generally felt his wrath afterwards. So we're going to move on now to uh, a couple of sessions that happened a little bit later. So we're going to also feature some blues tunes. Two tunes that were simply called Swing Blues Number 1 and Swing Blues Number 2, which were recorded in September, September 30th of 1936. You can tell a vocalion company was uh, counting on Wills to make his recordings primarily in September or in the fall of that time. So, as I said, from Chicago, same session, or actually the day after the session that made Sugar Blues and uh, Too Busy. So the same group that I mentioned uh, just a minute ago, and then we're going to hear Swing Blues number one and two, which were mostly uh, improvised blues solos with some vocals as well. We hear Bob Wills singing uh, a little bit on here, and we also hear um, uh, Tommy Duncan will be singing uh, some of the blues choruses as well, especially on Swing Blues number one, but he's on number two also. Following that, we're going to hear a real swing number, and this is from June of 1937, back in Dallas. This features a little bit more of an organized horn section, and it was a recording of White Heat, the Will Hudson song that had been recorded by Jimmy Lunsford and his band the year before. And that features uh, the, the core group that we heard, along with uh, the horn players Ray DeGeer and uh, Zeb McNally on saxophone. Bob Dunn may have played trombone on here. Uh, we don't know. He wasn't playing guitar, but he was playing trombone. Everett Stover was on trumpet. And the horn parts were actually taken directly from the stock arrangement. I think that's probably what they were playing here. And we'll hear uh, a very exciting rendition of White Heat. Then we're going to uh, go back to an older tune called Tie Me to Your Apron Strings Again. And this is a tune that was popular with the New Orleans bands in the 1950s. I think it was... Uh, 
Kid Thomas Valentine uh, used this as a theme song at one point, but it's a good old standard uh, type of uh, you know, heart strings and, uh, and, and soft ballad and mother and all of that. Um, and it is uh, sung, I believe, by... Uh, I'm not exactly sure who it was sung by. I'm going to look that up, but it might be Tommy Duncan as well. So at any rate, we're going to hear four tunes for you right now. Swing Blues number 1, Swing Blues number 2, White Heat, and Tie Me to Your Apron Strings again. Yeah. 
out there, Rainy. I'll give it a gun, Lord. Give it a gun now.
Uh, the Bob Wills Band from 1936 and 1937. From the September 30th, 1936 uh, session uh, for Vocalion Records that was done in Chicago, we heard the Swing Blues number one and number two. And they both featured sort of alternating vocals of Bob Wills and Tommy Duncan uh, going back and forth. You can hear some of the good feelings and the, the, the interaction between the musicians and Bob Wills. It was a very 
kind of a freewheeling band on stage, I guess, and certainly in the studio, too. We heard a clarinet solo on number one and a tenor solo on number two, both by Ray DeGear, who was a, a very fine swing musician who ended up leaving the Wills Band and going to work for Gene Krupa and uh, Jimmy Dorsey and a few others made a number of recording sessions out on the West Coast in the 1940s and into the 50s. We heard Jesse Ashlock on violin. Uh, we heard Everett Stover on trumpet. He was not really a, a swingy jazz trumpet player. He was obviously more of a classical player, but he played the parts, and he did some interesting blues stuff, as we will hear coming up. And we heard, uh, of course, Leon McAuliffe on electric guitar or steel guitar, depending on the piece, and he was really an extraordinary player. And we heard him featured heavily on the next tune, White Heat, uh, the uh, Will Hudson arrangement uh, that was recorded by Jimmy Lunsford and came out in a stock arrangement. That was from June of 1937, done in Dallas, with pretty much the same band. Uh, the addition of one more violinist, Cecil Brower, who was a very well-known Western swing violinist. He didn't take any of the solos uh, when he was with this band. They were for Jesse Ashlock, but he was a very fine soloist in his own right. And the two violins, as well as the uh, steel guitar, were playing some of the horn parts along with the two saxophones and the trumpet. So it really gave a full big band sound to that. And we ended up with Tie Me to Your Apron Strings Again. That was obviously a vocal duo uh, by Tommy Duncan and Bob Wills and featured uh, mostly a violin solo by uh, Jesse Ashlock again. So those were some very fine recordings by Bob Wills. We're going to jump ahead to a couple of sessions that he made in uh, Dallas again in 1938 in May. And uh, there were two people who came into the band about this time. Eldon Shamblin came in playing guitar, uh, both rhythm guitar and solo guitar, acoustic guitar. Leon um, uh, McAuliffe was still in the band at the time, so they uh, combined to do some interesting guitar duos. But apparently Eldon Shamblin wouldn't come into the band unless he could bring his friend Charles Lawton, who was a saxophone, clarinet, and trumpet player. And I think it's good that he did, because he solos quite a bit on these um, dates coming up here. These are from May 16th and May 17th of 1938. Apparently, Charles Lawton and Bob Wills didn't get along too well, because um, he was out of the band shortly thereafter. In fact, I don't think he lasted more than a couple of months, but he contributed quite a few interesting solos that we will be hearing. We also hear Tommy Duncan playing vocal, Joe Ferguson on bass. I should have mentioned Ferguson was also featured on White Heat, playing some nice slap bass on there. Jesse Ashlock on fiddle. Uh, Smokey Dacus on drums. Sleepy Johnson is playing banjo. By this time, um, uh, Johnny uh, Lee Willis had gone uh, away to form his own band. It was actually kind of the minor league band for the Bob Wills Playboys. He was uh, training musicians who would later move up and play with Bob Wills. Kind of an interesting development there. So Charles Lawton and Zeb McNally are saxophone players. Eldon uh, Shamblin on guitar, Everett Stover on trumpet, and Al Strickland on piano. And I haven't been mentioning the piano solos, but Strickland was really a very fine, two-fisted, kind of a barrel-house piano player. He did some stride as well, but a really, really good uh, player in this style. And his career lasted, I think, into the 1980s. He also wrote uh, an autobiography of his time in the Western swing bands, most notably with Bob Wills, and that's a very interesting document. So we're going to hear some songs from this session, uh, most of which feature the playing of Charles Lawton, which I happen to like a lot. Black Rider, which is a blues, kind of uh, inspired by a Bessie Smith blues, I think. It starts out with that silent movie 
um, cliched uh, minor key introduction, and Bessie Smith had that on a couple of her recordings, but the blues itself is quite a nice one following that. And then uh, we're actually going to go to the next day, May 17th, and for whatever reason, Bob Wills was not present there. Chances are he was sleeping one off, or he had gotten mad and left, but the band was left to carry on and keep recording, and they did, and they recorded some very fine jazz. We're going to hear Charles Lawton uh, featured on clarinet on Lady Be Good, and on Swanee River, also known as the Old Folks at Home. And then an interesting curiosity, uh, Clarence Williams and Armand Perone tune called I Wish I Could Shimmy Like My Sister Kate, which may have been composed by Louis Armstrong. He always said he did and that Clarence Williams stole it from him, but whatever. Um, it's a feature for a trumpet player, and it doesn't sound like Everett Stover to me, so it may very well be Charles Lawton playing trumpet, in which case certainly showing a, a variety of talents here as well. So those are our four tunes. Black Rider, Lady Be Good, the Gershwin tune, the Stephen Foster tune, Old Folks at Home, a.k.a. Swanee River, and Sister Kate. So this is definitely um, jazz from the Western swing style of Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. a winner here this time, Charlie. Ride, boy, ride like you never has rode before. I bet my last dollar passed this old trouble in mine, yeah. Come in, Tommy, how do you feel about it? Black Rider, Black Rider, don't you hear me Three times seven, you know just what to do. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Brother Leon, my collar down. All right, Leon. I bet the girl's back home is missing Leon while he's down in good old Dallas town.
So nice. Everybody in our neighborhood knows she can shimmy and it's understood. No, I'm late, but I'll be up to date. Wanna learn how to shimmy? Shimmy like my sister, shimmy like my sister Kate. So nice. Everybody in our neighborhood knows she can shimmy and it's understood. I know I'm late, but I'll be up to date when I learn how to shimmy. Shimmy like a sister, shimmy like my sister Kate. So those are some not terribly characteristic sides from Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, but interesting nonetheless. We started with Black Rider, which featured a vocal by Bob Wills. This was from that uh, date that he did make it to, uh, May 16th of 1936, and featured uh, Charles Lawton on clarinet, 
along with Leon McAuliffe on electric guitar and Jesse Ashlock on violin. The main vocalist on this was Tommy Duncan, showing how good a blues vocalist he was. He was not too dissimilar in tone quality and in blues inflection from Jack Teagarden, also from Texas, of course, so something in the water down there, I suppose. But Tommy Duncan was a very, very fine singer in this style. Then we went with Lady Be Good and Way Down Upon the Swanee River. Now, these were two out-and-out -out jazz sides that were done the next day, May 17th, 1938, uh, in Willis's absence for whatever reason. And these both featured Charles Lawton uh, playing clarinet and Eldon Shamblin on acoustic guitar. So we had uh, those two, who were apparently friends, featured on those, along with Al Strickland doing some fine piano playing. And... Uh, uh, Smokey Dacus on drums, taking drum solos on each of those two. And this was an unusual thing to have drums in a Western swing band from this period. Bob Wills was the first to add drums to a group like this, and uh, he was famously the first band leader to have drums on the stage of the Grand Old Opry. When he brought them out, they threatened to pull them off the stage, and he said, go ahead, try it. And they didn't, because they yielded to Bob Wills' uh, star power at the time, and from that moment on, any band could have drums on the Grand Old Opry. And Smokey Dacus really was a very fine drummer in the two-beat kind of 20s jazz style that uh, most of these musicians were most fond of. Then we finished up with Sister Kate, and I really don't know what to tell you about the trumpet player on that. There was a saxophone solo in there that I guess was a tenor saxophone solo, although it had a very high sound to it, so it might have been an alto as well. But if it was tenor, it was by Charles Lawton, and the trumpet was then by Everett Stover. And if it was by Everett Stover, he had improved a lot in a year. Uh, his rhythm was a lot better, and his note choice, and Played some very respectable stop-time stuff in there as well. In addition to whoever the trumpet and tenor player was, we had Leon McAuliffe on electric guitar and Eldon Shamblin on acoustic guitar. The two of them would combine for the Twin Guitar Special uh, a year or so later, which became one of Bob Will's biggest hits from the time. Well, Bob Wills, as I said, uh, was leading bands that were getting bigger and bigger uh, by about 1940-41, around the time of World War II. We're going to hear uh, an example of one of those groups coming up. And uh, he moved out to the Hollywood area, out to California, where during uh, World War II there were quite a few servicemen, of course. Many came from the South, and his music became just as popular as the big swing bands. In fact, on some of the tours uh, in the middle 1940s, his band outdrew Benny Goodman, Tommy Dorsey, Glenn Miller, and so forth. He, he was considered to have one of the most marketable bands of the time. And sometimes, with all the various horns and strings that he would add, he would uh, be taking a 20- and 21-piece band out on the stage. And that was uh, something that really was probably his peak of popularity at the time, uh, up until the late 40s. Of course, when the big band era kind of folded by about 19. 48-49, Bob Wills pared down to a smaller group, mostly just strings at that point. He didn't use horns too much after that, maybe one saxophone or something like that, but he was mainly a string band uh, front man for the rest of his career. And he stayed quite popular throughout the mid-1950s. By the late 50s, the uh, music scene was changing with rock and roll, and uh, he was uh, being seen more as an old-timer, a nostalgia-type act. And he toured through the 60s and did pretty well. He uh, His band, full-time band, broke up in the 60s and he began fronting other people's bands and things like that. He ended up dying in 1975 after he had a series of strokes, but he made a uh, one final album, not playing on it. He did manage to sing and make a couple of ahas in there with some of the musicians uh, from his olden days and uh, some of the younger musicians from Asleep at the Wheel and Merle Haggard and some of the great uh, country musicians who were influenced by Western Swing. And they brought 
Wills into the studio one last time in about 1974. So we're going to listen to two more tunes that will show you the jazzier side of Bob Wills. The first one is Big Beaver, which is a tune I believe he wrote, and uh, this is definitely by a bigger band. Um, he has about five saxophones in here, the ones we've talked about, and also Wayne Johnson, Louis Tierney, Joe Ferguson switched from bass to tenor saxophone, uh, Zeb McNally again, Tiny Mott was playing tenor sax, he was the soloist at that time, Everett Stover and Tubby Lewis played trumpet, I don't believe there were any trombones on here, but plenty of horns otherwise, along with the full string ensemble with Leon McAuliffe and Eldon Chamblin, Al Strickland is still on piano. Uh, Johnny Lee Wills was back again on banjo, Jesse Ashlock on violin, Smokey Dacus on drums, Bob Wills, of course, making comments and playing fiddle, and Tommy Duncan singing, although he doesn't sing on this side. And then we're going to end up with a later period tune, but uh, an, early, an early tune, but a later version, I should say. Crazy Rhythm, which is a tune that goes back to the late 1920s. Uh, I believe it was written by Roger Wolf Kahn. And uh, this is uh, a 1947 recording for Brunswick that Wills did on the West Coast. He'd already moved out there, and he recorded this in San Francisco on September 6, 1947. And this is very guitar-driven. You're going to hear the guitars playing the horn lines on this one. So these are our two uh, valedictory uh, Bob Wills tunes. Crazy Rhythm, which we'll end with, and Big Beaver to begin with. A big man tune and a smaller group swing tune. <laughs>
Two more sides, different sides, by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. Big Beaver came from April 16th of 1940, and as I said, full saxophone section there. Listed two trumpets. I think I hear more than two in there, but Everett Stover and Tubby Lewis. And Tubby Lewis was the soloist. You can hear Bob Wills announce him. And also, Bob Wills put the lie to my comment about the tenor sax soloist. He called out Wayne Johnson. So Wayne Johnson was the tenor sax soloist on the Big Beaver. Interesting. A recording. And then we ended up with Crazy Rhythm. And as I said, that was from a little bit later, from 1947. That was one of the Tiffany transcriptions, I guess. And um, it uh, featured quite a few uh, quite a few string players in there. I believe Eldon Chamblin played electric guitar. He uh, Wills called out Tiny Mott, who was a, a mandolin player for a solo in there. Um, quite a few other musicians as well. Luke, well. Luke Wills was playing bass, I believe. Millard Kelso was on piano. Mounty Mountjoy was on drums. Noel Boggs on pedal steel guitar. If there was a banjo in there, I couldn't hear it, but it was O.C. Stockard, who uh, had been the banjo and bass player for Milton Brown's Brownies and actually took over the band a little bit later. So all of these players uh, played in... Uh, similar styles and, and, and traveled in relatively small circles. They were well known for playing in these different groups as well. So I hope you've enjoyed our Bob Wills tribute for today. This is a uh, an interesting style, which we've come to call Western Swing. Uh, but as I said, the musicians that were part of this and invented this style and developed it in the 1930s called themselves jazz musicians. And I think we hear why that was. They were playing very respectable jazz, maybe a little bit earlier stylistically than the time frame in which they were recording, but very good nonetheless. Uh, it's interesting how this type of music then influenced 
popular music uh, from Tin Pan Alley and even jazz bands a little bit later. By about 1940-41, Bing Crosby was recording country tunes. His brother Bob Crosby and his band, which was uh, noted for its... Uh, uh, repertoire from the 1920s, started recording country western tunes and cowboy songs as well, and uh, many of the bands from that period started uh, playing some of the tunes of Bob Wills, including San Antonio Rose and um, even Twin Guitar Special, things like that. So this was the real dawning of country music in America and the popular uh, style that had came to be known as country western music. But western swing was really one of the first uh, styles that uh, grew into and out of and around the swing era. Um, the cross-pollination of all these different styles is, I think, the most interesting part of it. So, you've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Hope you've enjoyed this show. There will be more to come. I'm not sure what the next one's going to be. I'm still thinking about a couple of things. But uh, coming up at some point, we're going to be hearing from Earl Hines Band of 1934. We're going to be hearing uh, possibly from Joe Turner, the great blues singer. I'm thinking about that as well. And then maybe from Ray Noble and his new Mayfair Orchestra featuring Al Boley. That's another thing that's on the list to do. So hopefully we'll get to all of those in due time. Hope you're enjoying these programs. Please check out all of the other podcasts we have. Check out my radio show on WETF and uh, let me know that you're listening. So thank you very much and I'll see you on the other side.